Welcome to Make Your Stuff, a show about, well, I mean, it's in the title. I'm your host, Kyle F. Andrews, and I am really excited to bring this show to you today. Uh, If you have ever been interested in making independent film, this is an episode where I think you will learn a lot from my guest. My guest today is Sandra Levitin. Sandra is a Los Angeles-based producer and writer, currently working under her banner Under the Stairs Entertainment. She's an alum of the Tribeca Institute, as well as my alma mater, Emerson College. Go Lions! Still undefeated in football. This past February, Sandra released Student Body, a coming-of-age horror film written and directed by Leanne Kerr. Her previous film, Zone 2, is available on Shudder and Amazon in Season 2 of the Etheria series. Before starting Under the Stairs Entertainment, Sandra spent a bunch of years working in development and current programming at FX, where she worked on over 20 original series, including some of my favorites like American Horror Story, Justified, Shield, Sons of Anarchy, Archer. Before that, she worked in the TV literary department at Paradigm and was a production coordinator in reality TV, a music video producer, and a story analyst for AMC Network. In addition to all the writing and producing, Sandra is also a mentor and educator for colleges, writing conferences, film festivals, and nonprofit organizations. As you can imagine from that wonderful biography, Sandra knows her stuff. And today we are going to talk about all of the things that go into indie filmmaking, the things that you think about, like the writing and the producing of it, the things you may not think about, like distribution. Ooh, what does that mean? Where is it? Where is it going? Where? Who wants this? And so Sandra kind of boils that all down and brings a really grounded spin to the work of making the stuff that makes the stuff. Real quick note before we dive in uh, about the audio here. Um, I unfortunately scheduled this chat with Sandra at the same time that my neighbor has gardeners uh, working on their lawn. So there's unfortunately an unavoidable amount of background noise in the conversation i i I, you know sometimes when you're making things uh you just have to deal with what is thrown at you and you make the best of it and you know we had a very good conversation in spite of uh weed whackers and upset puppy dogs and doors slamming and coming and going and uh, but it's a really awesome conversation with Sandra, so just please bear with us. Uh, it's mostly good. That's that's it. It's mostly good. Sandra, I'm so happy you could stop by today. I'm really excited to talk to you. You're one of my favorite people in this industry, and like you are a fount of information when it comes to getting stuff done. So thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun to chat. In that, in that, I actually love chatting to you because I feel like every time we talk, I learn something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's all right. You know, never stop learning here when you have friends like you. It's always a good experience um, for when I have questions. So I'm excited because we're going to talk today. I have lots of writers who talk to me about the independent filmmaking process. I think... It's always scary when a writer thinks, well, I finished a script. Now somebody's just got to make it for me, right? What does making it on my own mean? So if a writer comes to you and they're like, how do I get into independent film? What is your first tip? Oh, man, that is a broad, broad question. I like, um, to, I like to start without any specifics whatsoever, Sandra. <laughs> Excellent. You know, it really depends on, I think, the writer's individual 
goals um, mm-hmm. in terms of you know ways to to go about it. And really, the number one, I think, really number one thing is just to be able to put yourself out there, put your writing out there. People can't. People generally in this business do want to actually help um, if they can. And what that entails is people can't help you if they don't know that you need help or that you're looking. And so someone can't help you as a writer or a director or any other kind of creative, but specifically for writers, if they don't know that you write and if they don't know how you write and if they don't know if you write well. So be open about what you do and be open with your work. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to give it to everybody who asks to see it. But at the same time, you know, trust your gut. Like if your gut's like, oh, I don't I don't trust that person. I don't know if I really want to share my work with them. That's fine. But generally, like people can't help you if they don't know. And so my I think very first thing to say is share yourself and share your work so people know that they can help you and don't be afraid to ask for it. And that's a whole conversation. We can talk about etiquette and the proper ways to do that. But ultimately, it's just being open. I think that's a great place to start. I mean, outreach is basically how this game starts. Nobody can get into a project until they know the project exists. And actually, you bring up something I think is really important. You hear all the time, shoot your shot. Just shoot your shot. Just go and, and, and take some shots and shoot them. Shoot, shoot, sh- get them all, all out there. And that can lead to a bunch of blind queries that don't go anywhere and you just feel bad about yourself because nobody said yes. I like to think of it more, you're taking calculated risks. You're assessing who's out there, who has what you're looking for, and then you take the risk of actually actually seeing, hey, is there any place where we can cross the streams here? Do you find that that's an accurate assessment? Oh, yeah, completely. Um, you know, I think the the number two thing that I, I like to tell literally everybody in this business is to do your homework. It doesn't make sense to bring your comedy script to somebody who only produces and only wants to produce straight up slasher horrors and vice versa, you know, or if you're looking for representatives, it doesn't make sense to go be like, oh, this is the head of big namey agency. That's clearly the person I should be sending it to. Well, it's not, that's not going to be the most effective, you know, route or path for you. So you got to do your homework and take those targeted shots, you know, with all of that. But, but, you know, it's a scatter shot versus, you know, like a sniper shot, you know, if you're going to, particularly if you're cold querying, and I'm only talking about this in like a cold query kind of sense. Mm. Um, it's very different when you have the relationships or when you know people or when you're at an event and you're doing these things. So this is just very specifically, if you're going to be writing a bunch of query letters, do your homework. Find people who are producers or representatives or, you know, directors who are looking for the kind of work that you do, who are, have, who have similar voices than what you have, you know, on the flip side of that too, if you're looking at reps, like, and if you're looking at their roster of people and they have, you know, seven comedy people and three horror people, but no drama people, there might actually be a chance they are looking for that to fill that, fill that gap in their, in their roster. Mm. So it's all about really just getting in there and finding those people that you gel with and also talking to people. It's not just like, hey, let me get an IMDb Pro subscription and see, you know, who's doing what. It's also talk to your friends, see what's out there on social media, see, you know, who's looking for what, you know, and then take that very targeted 
targeted shop. That's interesting because when you, when I talk to people about how they make their stuff, they're always like, well, I can't, I don't want to just stay in my lane. I want to branch out and do a number of things. And I think wanting to do a number of things is good, but when you're reaching out to a specific person who is working within a niche, a lane, a target demographic, you kind of want to show how you can harmonize with that as opposed to how you can create a brand new song that maybe isn't what they're looking for. Yeah. I would say like, you know, it's, it's about tailoring, right? Like Mm. I'm sure plenty of you have a a horror script and a comedy script and a drama script. And because you're writing what you love, you're writing what you, where you're finding your voice. And it is true that representatives and even producers to an extent want to, you know, help put you in a lane that they can initially sell you with. That doesn't mean you're stuck there forever. Mm. It just means that that's going to help guide you. But that said, like you can tailor what you're sending out. If you are sending out, you know, a drama script, but you have like comedies and whatever, like, all right, then you find those producers who are looking for that drama script and lean into the, what you offer for drama, you know, representatives, it's a little harder because they need to get a bigger overview of who you are. But that said, you can still tailor it and be like, you know, this is where my dominating voice is. The other thing that I typically will suggest, and this is Again, in a more broader sense, if you're going more the representation route versus directly to a producer, um, as a writer, look at your work by theme. Don't look at it necessarily by genre. Look at it by theme, by voice, and what you bring to it. So, for example, you find that, you know, maybe you write a lot about family issues or, you know, parent-child relationships, and you have a very particular voice or a very particular point of view that you bring to that. And that is a trend throughout all of your work. That's how you sell yourself is, you know, I'm someone who writes about this theme, about this exploration. I write about, you know, the nature of this parent-child relationship. And through my point of view and my experience with it, this is what I bring to all of my work. And that is actually a way that a representative can sell you because especially like, you know, obviously differences between the film side and the TV side. But, Mm. you know, if you're looking at say TV staffing, they don't necessarily want somebody who's going to all bring the same voice to the room. They do want those variations. And oftentimes a writer will get staffed because they bring a particular voice or a particular viewpoint to the room, or even if it is a hard hitting drama, but they might need that little bit of a lighter voice for a particular character. Mm -hmm. They will bring in somebody who has more of a comedy angle, but that person still writes within that thematic points of the world. So those are other ways that you can look at putting yourself out there. So it's not just about being put in a box by genre, which has been what was traditionally done, but more and more now, and I think it can be a really strong point for many writers is looking at it by your theme and your point of view and what you bring to that. And then the genre doesn't become quite as important. Well, I'm happy to hear that because actually looking at at the kind of work that you've done, it's interesting to see that you've done both TV and film. In fact, you've had a lot of success doing TV. What is it like producing TV versus when you're actually out on your own making an independent film like you did with Student Body? And I think we're going to talk a bit more about Student Body. Sure. Um, Well, I would say the number one thing is in all honesty, it's money. Money and availability. <laughs> what? What um, money? I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing about, you know, TV is that TV is still a very corporate driven part of the business. You know, not that film is film very much is, but you have an independent film sector. You don't have independent television in the way that we are 
still hoping and I think a lot of people are building towards, but it's not there yet. So that aside, the difference is really is about the accessibility to money, to mm. talent, to resources, that stuff that you know, and coming at this more from a, a writer's angle, you're not worrying about in the same way, you know, like you don't have to think about the budget when you're writing a TV script as, you know, a emerging writer who's putting their work out there into the world. You don't have to worry about that because you know what, if you want to write a space opera and get that sold in the TV world, they'll figure out how to make it and figure out how to fund it. You know, there's very few shows that aren't going in minimally in the close to the million dollar range. Like there's a few here in there, particularly on the comedy side that you can do cheaper, but their budgets will always be bigger than where you're starting on the independent film side. So yeah, I mean, really, that's just, that's the biggest difference, you know, and when you're writing for more independent film side of things and even producing, like budget is definitely going to be in more of the forefront of your mind. Uh, let me, let me so ask you about It depends on your resources. I, yeah. I'd love to ask you about that a little bit because I think budgeting is one of the things where, especially if you're more of a creatively minded person, once you start getting into dollars and cents and how much is this? going to cost and who can we get for the location over here etc cetera, etc cetera. that's when like the brain works can start malfunctioning and you can start getting lost in the details so how do you kind of maintain your focus as a creative while also keeping in mind that this is ultimately a business decision you're making when you decide to produce something yeah i mean it's a really good question um and because I've worn so many multiple hats, um, you know, both as producer, as a writer, as network executive, working on the representative side way back in the day, you know, I, I come at it from many different angles. But the best thing that I can really say is it comes back again to your personal goals as a writer or a producer or a director. So, you know, as a creative of any kind. So if you are writing something and you're like, you know, I'm writing a feature film and I'm writing something that I want to get made. I I don't have produced work yet, or maybe I only have a few small independent films, then you probably want to attempt to write something that is budgetarily more realistic to get made at a, at a smaller financial level. And that does not mean you have to write two people in a room, <laughs> which you can and you can do well. I mean, I've done it myself even, you know, but actually one of the things that I, I really love and appreciate when you're thinking about things in that way, and, and I try to really lean into, and we did this on student body as well, which is we say the obstacle is the path. And I think we might have borrowed that from Guillermo del Toro. Oh, that's a but, that's a stoic trait. The obstacle is the right? way. I mean, that's that's exactly. that's what I, and, something I'm trying to practice now. So I'm glad you bring it up. Yeah. So and, you know, basically what I have found is that when we have like the whole world, the blank page in front of our face, we're like, oh, my God, we have anything is possible. Right. And it's like going to the supermarket. Right. Or at least in American supermarkets, it's like, oh, my God, there's so many choices of, you know, this one bread, like, how do you even know where to begin? Right. And that can be very overwhelming. And so it's great if you have the opportunity to let the imagination go wild. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But we're talking about if we're looking at, you know, hey, we got to think about this budgetary cost, then putting in parameters I think makes you more creative. It helps you problem solve in ways that you might not have. And so if you have four choices of bread, right? <laughs> and you know, you have no idea what to do, or maybe you've tried one kind and you're not totally sure, you're more likely to pick something that you haven't tried before because there's so few options. You're like, you know what? There's four. I've tried, I've kind of tried that one. You know, I do like it, but 
I'm going to give that one a try this time. Whereas if you're looking at an entire aisle of bread, you get overwhelmed and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you're going to go right back to that same piece of type of bread that you bought before. And you're not going to challenge yourself in that way of trying something new because you get really overwhelmed. And so I find that sometimes when you have these parameters, I know I just made a total bread analogy. I love it. It's my, maybe my favorite analogy that I've had on the show. I'm going to get, I'm getting hungry because it's lunchtime, but also that was I know that's probably honestly why I'm thinking about bread right now. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's that when you have these parameters, it helps you problem solve in ways you hadn't before. It makes you think differently. Mm. So I don't think thinking about writing things in a lower budget space is a bad thing. I think it's actually a really good thing um, in terms of creativity and problem solving. And so all of that comes back around to where we're going originally, which is if your goal is to get something made, put that parameter in place for yourself. Think about, okay, I know I want to do something lower budget. And look, we're not expecting you as writers to understand like the cost of everything or how much things shoot. But there's some general things that you can, you know, use as a guideline, you know, like limited locations, limited amounts of actors, you know, and there's more than just keeping it contained. You might not want to have giant special effects or big VFX moment. Or on the flip side, maybe you do. And if that's the case, then that's where you need to funnel your money towards. You can make low budget stuff with great quality things. You can make it with VFX or practical things or stunts, but you just have to know that that's where the money is going to go towards versus something else. And so you just need to be creative and think about those parameters. And on the other side of it, coming back to like, okay, well, if your goal is to get repped or, you know, maybe be able to go out for open writing assignments or these bigger things, then that's when you want to write that big imaginative piece with spaceships and dinosaurs and giant stunts and VFX and water and, you know, kids and animals and everything else that makes it costly. And so the whole point of all of this is to say is it really depends on what your personal goals are as a writer and as a creative and where you want these things to go. You know, it's good to have a little bit of both in your arsenal, but at the same time, you know, I think that's that's really the the thing to look at and the difference is, you know, what are your goals? I think uh, at this point, there's probably a writer listening who's like ready to make that space dino movie that you just mentioned. And uh, Avishai, I hope you do well with that script. It, it should be good. Yes, <laughs> Avishai, you're definitely doing a space dino for me next. hundred um, <laughs> percent. Uh, but I think it's really cool because uh, those parameters and, and, you know, trying to pick the right bread and like not giving yourself too many choices, I think is an important factor here. Because, you know, I had the same experience recently when we filmed The Veil. My writer, director, co-producer said, look, we're going to, I got inspired by Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We're going to film this in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So immediately, great. Here's what we need to make sure that we can go out to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania and film this. One of the lucky things is, even though we have to fly some people out there, there is a already standard community out there doing good work. Plus, it's a lot cheaper to feed a crew in middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, than it is in Los Angeles County. It's probably easier to feed an army, actually, almost anywhere besides Los Angeles County. That, that is absolutely true. But that's what you're doing. You're kind of, you know, you're setting up the group to go with it. So, Talk to me a little bit about what that experience was like on student body, setting the parameters that you needed to make sure you could get the script done in a way that you wanted to get it done. Well, you know, first of all, all the credit for writing and directing goes to uh, Leanne Kerr, who did mm -hmm. an amazing job um, with, with all of it. 
And it was a script that I fell in love with, um, you know, and her vision for the script. And so there was a completed script um, when, when I came around to it. That said, we did spend time, myself, her, and, my, um, and our co-producer, Rachel Liu, um, spent more time developing it you know, with some of these, you know, parameters for ourselves in mind. And so some of the things that we knew we wanted to highlight and and have on screen, um, which was, you know, showcasing Leanne's talent and her vision, we knew that we wanted to make a young adult thriller horror that, I mean, ultimately, we hope, uh, and we hope currently people are teens are watching it at sleepover parties. That's really, you know, like our, you know, one of our big goals for this. And so that's where we looked at. We knew that we wanted to stay within a certain budget. We knew what we could potentially realistically raise for a project like this. And we thought about where we wanted to spend the money. You know, we knew we wanted to spend money on things like cast. We knew we wanted to spend money on location. You know, this takes place in, you know, in a school overnight. But we had a couple big things. We had, you know, swimming pool. We had st- some stunt work, you know, we have a, 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 a killer uh, costume um, that, you know, we really wanted to make sure that we, we put the energy and, and, and effort into and giving our director, you know, giving Leanne the resources that she needs to execute her vision because our projects live and die by that. Um, mm. And if they don't look beautiful and polished and, you know, and, and tell a good story, I mean, which obviously telling a good story is the first thing, but having that, you know, sheen to it um, is, is the parameters that, you know, like as producers that, you know, mm-hmm. I would say we went in there with, um, you know, Rachel might have her, her own, you know, perspective on that as well. But yeah, I think that, you know, like that's where we approached it from, from that as we kind of set out our goals and even goals in terms of where we wanted this to end up ultimately in distribution, you know, so those were things that we were thinking about and the kinds of things that they would be looking for, which is why we looked at things like, you know, cast and ultimately how polished it looked and, um, and our locations and how we made those look and, you know, where we wanted to do that. And then there's the, get it, how much can we, how far can we make our dollars go? And where can we do those? And, but also at the same time, being able to balance that with the aesthetic that Leanne wanted for, for the film. So where did you end up filming? We ended up filming in Georgia. We spent two weeks in Atlanta and then two weeks um, in Northern Georgia um, in an area, a uh, little town called Raven Gap and, you know, kind of borders Clayton, which actually is where they shot Deliverance um, oh, back cool. in the day. Wow, um, quite, quite a precedent to set there. <laughs> yes. Um, and some people loved and embraced that in the town and some people did not. Yeah, I'm sure. um, and, understandably so and honestly I didn't even realize that until we got out there and they were like oh yeah this is where Deliverance was shot and I was like oh my god and went back and rewatched the movie and I was like what are we doing out here <laughs> um. <laughs> oh no but, right because it, it's yeah. oh it's so beautiful and then oh yeah that film uh <laughs> yeah. how was how was the process of being out there for two weeks was it what you expected was there were there new challenges that you weren't anticipating that you had to deal with in the moment like how did that transpire Yeah, um, no, it's a great question. And I mean, look, every project has issues that you didn't necessarily anticipate, even though as a producer, it's our job to be that complete worry war and think about everything that can possibly go wrong. And there'll still be something new that will surprise you. But, you know, honestly, we had a great experience. You know, everyone in Atlanta was so helpful and wonderful. I'd say the worst thing about Atlanta was like maybe some of the traffic that we dealt with. Um, Because honestly, 
they have worse traffic than LA. Nobody oh, no. wants to admit it, but their traffic is terrible. Uh-oh, you started um, something here, Sandra. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. All my friends in Atlanta, you're going to yell at me. But no, it's true. <laughs> your, your, your traffic is awful. But, you know, and then in Northern Georgia, um, it was just remote, you know, and none of us were used to, I mean, majority of us, you know, are not used to being that remote. And especially for our, you know, our young cast, you know, for a few of them, it was their first time, even though they've all been working literally since they like could like walk and talk as toddlers in this business, but it was really their first time, you know, being away from home, being away from their families. And also on top of that, being in a remote part of, of Georgia, you know, so like, even though there was this cute, you know, I mean, the Clayton's this cute little town and, you know, everyone there was like really nice, but at the same time, like we're in the wilderness as far as we're concerned, <laughs> you know, so that in itself was a little bit of a, you know, a challenge and adjustment for, I think, you know, a handful of us, mm. um, you know, but especially for, for our young cast. And so that, that was definitely a challenge. Um, Let's talk about your young cast a little bit, because I I think it's an interesting project because you found the writer first who had this script. Then what came next? Uh, She directed it, correct? Yes. So she directed it. Mm -hmm. Great. So how did the attachments happen thereafter? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a really, really small, quick, like serendipity story of like how this really came about. Mm -hmm. And Honestly, I could go way far back and tell you how this actually originated in this crazy way from my FX days. Um, I'd and love to hear is, it. So, and the only reason why I tell you this is because this is this business is a long game. You know, I used to hate it when my bosses would tell me like, "Oh, this is a marathon, not a sprint," and I would get so angry about it. Like. And I'm like, oh man, now I'm the person saying it, but it's true. And so that's why I would like to tell some of this, this story. And there's two parts of it, which is one, really how this industry works and, and, and really how it is just this web that you just keep on navigating. And then you find that it actually works out. And then the other part of it is also, you know, how we got the film itself together. So the quick version of all of this is, is back in my days working at FX, um, we, and this was back in the days when Rescue Me was still on the air. So oh, wow, we're, going back, that's weird. We're going way back. So uh, a, a fellow Emersonian, uh, as, as the two of us are. So right, I love yes. the triangle we got there. Yes. So we, we already got that going. And so, and this is to show you what a long process in crazy ways that these things work. So all comes on to Rescue Me. And so, you know, we had, there was one of the crew members on Rescue Me, um, unfortunately passed away, not on set. It was a, you know, a completely separate thing, but obviously a lot of people were very close to, to this young person. And our script coordinator on Rescue Me, who's a dear, dear friend of mine now, you know, she was close with, with this person and she helped organize this, you know, like film grant, um, you know, in honor of his memory with, you know, with his family. And they asked us to participate in, mm-hmm. you know, judging or being part of, you know, prize packages and and everything over the years. And by the way, some of the filmmakers that we met through this now are like big time, which is amazing to see this evolution. So totally separate, but really amazing Still people very to come cool. out of it. Names that you would actually know, movies that you've actually seen. So it's really cool. Anyway, so we became kind of part of this prize package for this. And so after I left FX to go out into the wild west of indie producing on my own, <laughs> me and her stayed friends and I stayed involved with the organization as, you know, a judge and meeting up with people. And I was developing another project, which, you know, sadly did not end up going in the end. 
Um, but I was in New York trying to meet financiers and meet other filmmakers and, you know, just do all the things that we do when we travel. And so I had asked, you know, my friend, I said, hey, like, I know I met what, you know, I'd love to meet some of these filmmakers in person because we only met them online or, you know, whatever at that point or on the phone. And so met with one of them and we had been talking about this other project that I had been developing. She goes, oh, do you know so-and-so, you know, she might know somebody, you know, like her best friend might have a film fund and whatever. And we're also part of this, you know, like female filmmaker group. I think you would really love her. So she introduced me to, to this other young woman and who was amazing. And she's like, oh my God, I'm starting an LA chapter of this filmmaking group and she comes. So I was like, okay. And you know, this is, this point is a, a few months, years process. And this is years and years after, you know, rescue me. Mm-hmm. And so they started an LA chapter and I went to like two or three meetings, you know, first of the meetings. And that is where I met um, Rachel, um, who ended up being my co-producer on Student Body. We were the only two oh, producers wow. in the group. It, was, it ended up being a lot of, I mean, and now the, the it's a much bigger organization, but back then it was, you know, a lot of their friends. It was a lot of, you know, actresses who were getting into writing or, or producing at that point or directing. And so we were like, oh, we're the only producers here. And, you know, went and grabbed coffee and found that like, you know, we have a lot of similar tastes and likes and we want to make the same kinds of films. Um, so we just kind of kept in touch. And now I'm going to back up a little bit. So around this same time, I got an email and it was the log line and script from, of Student Body from Leanne. It was a cold query. And I don't even know, I don't even know if she remembers fully where she got my information from. Well, that's neat. And- <laughs> And so she's, you know, and I saw this log line and I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what I've been looking for for like all this time, you know, young adult thriller and whatever. I'm like, send it over. And this is where it gets embarrassing because now I've (laughs) lost it in the abyss of my emails and forgot completely about it because it happens. It happens to all of us. And she knows this. So it's not like I'm telling myself here. All that to say. So then a few months after Rachel and I got together for the first time, you know, we got together again. She's like, you know, I'm producing this project from, you know, this new director. She was supposed to be the script coordinator on this other film that she was producing, but due to some scheduling stuff, didn't end up working out. And it ends up actually that she's part of this New York chapter of this film group but none of us had really like we hadn't met her in person and they didn't meet at any of those meetings either either because of just the way schedules and life works out (laughs) and so she's like you know come check out you know like she's like let me send you the stuff like this could be really fun to do together I'm like yes awesome of course and fell in love with it you know came on board it's great so that entire process when I talk about like the whole thing like I mean we're talking about the FX stuff and that all all of that was happening and probably I want to say around like 2009-2010 I is I got this project I signed on officially in early 2018 which means and so all of this process was through like 2016-2017 so we're talking like this is you know an eight-year process at this point and the point that I want to make is that I never would have met Rachel I never would have had the mutual contacts and connections with Leanne, had I not gone through all of these various steps backwards, all leading back to the work that I did and the friendships that I made when Mm. I was working at FX and, and working on Rescue Me. And every one of those pieces is integral to the story because I never would have been in this place 
had I not gotten through, been through all of that, I never would have met these people. And I met through this very crazy web. Um, and here's the fun bit of it all. We're in prep now. So this is now 2019 and we're in prep and I'm cleaning up my emails, getting ready, you know, to just be all organized before we shoot. And I sort the, you know, emails by Leanne's name, just to make sure I filed everything. And there was that very first email from July, I think 2017 with the log line for student body. And I forwarded it back to her and I said, oh my God, do you remember sending this to me? Because I forgot completely about it. And, <laughs> and she goes, oh my God, thank God you never read that script because I changed so much of it since I had cold emailed you to the draft that you actually ended up reading. She goes, thank God I never read it. Um, That's anyway, awesome. All, uh, you know, it's, it's serendipity. It's the way that the industry works. Like it's this wild web of things and you never know where that project, where that financing, where that connection that brings you to the next level is going to be or how you're going to get there. Because mm. every one of those pieces was important for me. And I don't know that when I'm going through it. You're not going to know that necessarily when you're going through it. But that just goes to show that, like, I literally never would have been able to make student body had I hadn't gotten my, you know, job at FX, had I not worked on Rescue Me, had I not befriended the script coordinator on our show, you know, on our show, had I not had the foresight to say, hey, like, I'm going out to New York. Can you introduce me to some of the filmmakers that I've met, you know, that we had the opportunity of watching their stuff. So it's all really important. And then also, you know, also important follow up if you send your script out, unless you don't want them to read that draft. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's maybe my favorite story to hear how that went for you, because I think that it's important for folks to recognize that the process is not a, one of immediate gratification. I think, especially with, if you're an active social media presence like I am, and I know that Twitter has not always been, you know, the, the best. Uh, yeah, I, you know, you know, I left the platform uh, I, I almost do. two years ago. But yeah. you know what? You found Instagram and I think Instagram works really well. And I think you're still getting your stuff out there. But again, when we look at social media, it can be such a thing where, oh, that person had something happen. It's such a great thing that that happened. When is it going to happen for me? And they don't recognize that that thing happening for that person took five, six years of constant work, of making sure that you're not falling off with people, of following up to actually get to the point where you're producing something that is artistic and creative and for somebody else to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's the hardest part. Like I said, like that was the, it, it is the hardest part. It, you know, I know everyone jokes like, oh, it's the 10 year overnight success story. Um, a lot of times it's the 20 year overnight success story. And when you see and, you know, and you read all of these stories and the trades and the press, they leave out the details of how these things really happened. Mm. And so, you know, when you start to learn about all of that, I mean, one, it, it's, it's wild when you, when you start to really know the story behind the story. But, you know, like we, you know, particularly I think of as Americans too, like we love that instant gratification, right? We love the, you know, the rogue who went off to do their own thing and just did it and, you know, and magic happened or, you know, my favorites are always like these directors who are like, yeah, I just went out to dinner with this A plus actress or actor and they signed on to my project because they loved <laughs> yeah. it so much. 
But what they didn't tell you behind all of that was the, you know, 15 years they spent writing the scripts or how hard their, you know, their agents and managers spent five years getting their work out into the world or how many projects that they almost had go and didn't go and things happened or fell apart or the show they got staffed on and was canceled three episodes. And like, you don't hear all of that. You just hear, oh, they went out to dinner. Well, you know how they got that dinner? It's because they went through that 15 years of hell. And then finally, somebody, whether it was a producer or an agent or a manager or a friend, was like, hey, you know what? Let me connect you to this person and let me set that up. And chances are it was usually their agent who set up that dinner with the fancy, fancy name because (laughs) they know they can get that project packaged and financed. That's the part of the story they leave out. And I think that does a huge disservice to everybody. So we all feel that like, I mean, look, and even when you are, you know, in it and you've been in the business forever and even on the insides of these doors, oh my God, we all feel that too. That's no different whether you're in the system, I'm using air quotes, in the system or not in the system system. Um, Everyone feels that itch and that anxiety. And I think the hardest part is when you are, you know, getting all of your information only on social media or the trades, and you're not privy to this information, that anxiety and that, you know, rejection sensitivity of it all is enhanced even more because you're not hearing the real stories. You're hearing, oh, that person just sent their script out into the world and they, and it got made. And why is that not happening for me? So how do you deal with, uh, you know, as a creative who's also a producer, you're a writer, so you know how it gets to be rejected, not just somebody else's project getting rejected, but your own. And now your producer putting stuff out there. How do you cope with the anxiety of knowing that rejection is part of the business? Have you figured out your way to deal with that? Um, I don't deal with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you ignore honestly, it completely. Like, you put it in the back. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think part of it is, is are there rejections that hurt or that frustrate me or that make me angry, whether it's a project I'm producing or somebody's I'm championing or my own work when I put it out there. Um, absolutely. But I don't dwell on it. And the reason why is because, look, I was really fortunate that when I started, particularly in the scripted side of the business, my unscripted days were a whole nother story. But in the scripted side of the business, you know, like I started in the agency world, I started, you know, and then I went into a network, I was the person doing the rejecting. You know, I was Mm. the person giving the notes. I was the person who, you know, was on that side of the table having to tell people no or to help them shape stuff to hopefully someone won't say no. I mean, that's a lot of what I do now still. But because I came from that side of it, I knew all of the different decisions and factors that go into that no. It's not because somebody just didn't like you. It's not because they didn't like your work. It's, you know, I mean, yeah, that's the case sometimes, but you know, I mean, you know, there's definitely projects I walked away from or I didn't sign on to because I didn't like the person um, or projects I passed because, you know, the writing wasn't good or the directing wasn't good or whatever that may be. Yeah, of course. But there's also so many other factors that go into it. You know, it goes into like, is this the right grouping of people for a TV writer's room? Is this what the showrunner is even looking for? Is this, you know, what's the, you know, scheduling like? What's the money like? Their marketing stuff. Like, there's so many things. And I, so I think all that to say is because I had that experience earlier in my career, when people tell me no now, I don't really get that upset over it because mm. one, 
I know that that's just part of what we do. And two, it's because I know that it's not a personal decision against me. Um, at least I hope it's not, but it, you know, yeah, generally yeah. not. In the ideal world. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give another story. So on my very last day working at FX, um, John Langreff, who still runs the network, um, who really is an amazing, incredible boss, probably still one of the smartest human beings I've ever met in my life. And I do not say that lightly. He, you know, took time with me, you know, before I left and, you know, talked about what I was going to do and what was going to happen. And he's like, you know what? you'll be fine. He's like, but I'm going to tell you this one thing. And he's like, this was like what my, one of my mentors told me. And, you know, and this is the kind of guy that, that John is, is he's very, very, you know, giving in that way. But he was like, look, in this industry, there's a thousand doors. And he's like, you just got to keep knocking on the doors. He's like, some people get lucky and door number three opens and some people don't get as lucky and maybe door 799 opens or 999 opens. He's like, most people, they're going to land somewhere around 500 doors before they get there. And and he's like, you just got to keep knocking and it will work out. And, you know, and look, there's so many factors into how, why things work out for some people and not and, hmm. and everything. But the, the, the bottom line is, is you just got to kind of keep knocking on the door. And so coming at all of this as a creative, coming from that side of the world, you know, that side of things is I know I just got to keep knocking. And so when it comes to dealing with rejection and the nose, I get many nose a day. Um, you know, <laughs> Makes you more used know, to it, right? It doesn't really face me in that way. I mean, yeah, there's always the one that hurts, but yeah. um, in which case I just say, well, wasn't right. I'm not going to, every minute that I spend time giving them like rent-free space in my head is time that I'm taking away from going on to the next person who might be the yes. Right. I love that. And, you know, it reminds me of a John Waters quote that I just saw, which is a, a career in the arts is like a hitchhiking trip. You All you need is one person to say, get in and off you go. And I think that once once you are just putting your thumb out and you are saying, who wants to pick me up, then you can actually make a career work because you are trying to get to a destination as opposed to just, you know, trying to slow walk your way without being sure where you're going. Do you get a sense that the industry is getting more open to you and what you particularly work on? Or are you still finding your way in through however the industry wants you to, um, to shape yourself? That's an excellent question. I like um, to I like to hit the hard ones. And you know, the truth of it is, is I've been doing this in some capacity for a very long time. And I've seen a lot of the changes happening, you know, thankfully, and, you know, I'm very privileged and, and lucky to have been able to witness that and to continue to witness it. That said, um, you know, there are heartbreaks that also come with that change, you know, in the sense of, what did I say I'm before my time, you know, when I left, when I left the network world, it's been a little over 10 years now, you know, I was like, I want to go out there and make young adult horror. And everyone was like, what is that? Nobody knew what that was. Wow. I spent years educating people on what that is. Right. And, you know, because back then, like, Streaming was in its very early days. Nobody knew what they were, you know, what they were doing. And when they think of YA, they thought of, you know, Hunger Games or Twilight, Mm. which, you know, isn't necessarily everyone's cup of tea. Everyone's like young adult horror. So I spent years educating people on this. And now that's all anyone wants is young adult stuff, which is amazing for me. Really well set yourself Um, up there, Sandra. 
you know, which, which is really great in a lot of ways for me. And they also want horror and they also want female filmmakers and they want people of color and they want different abilities. And that is amazing. So yes, there's a lot more doors open in that sense. The backside of all of that is that, well, all those people I spent years educating and what I'm going to do went and ran with all those ideas and didn't include me in the process. And now when I bring them things, well, now instead of being, you know, one of maybe a few people out there, if even that doing it, um, but I didn't have the track record then, you know, even though I was the one educating them on it. And again, that comes from a place of being lucky and privileged because of my past work experience in this, in the TV world, you know, it opened a lot of doors for me, but it also, I didn't have the proven track record in terms of being a filmmaker yet. And so, um, you know, and I wasn't a name brand. And so, you know, it, now I'm competing against, you know, the, the heavyweights in the industry Mm -hmm. trying to do the same stuff. And they have, you know, comes back to resources. They have more resources, you know, they can option that really fancy uh, book that maybe, you know, I personally am not able to do at this time or, or whatnot. So that element of it can be really hard and really frustrating. The other side of that too is, you know, yeah, they want more, you know, women in genre. They want more people of color. They want more abilities. They want more of, you know, whatever makes you uniquely you. And a lot of that is still, unfortunately, a lot of lip service because everyone wants to still get on that trend. So, well, yeah, I can get in there and pitch stuff or I can bring stuff out there and we can do all of that. They're still not saying yes in the way that we want them to be saying yes. Mm. So in a lot of ways, yeah, there's been a lot more opportunity created, but they're still only giving that opportunity to a select few people. And so it's a double-edged sword and it's a little bit of a balance, you know, and that's not to be discouraging or really even encouraging in some ways, but it's just, the we just got to keep going, you know, it comes back to, oh yeah, well then that will be the yes, right? So yeah, there has been a lot more opportunity and advantages and getting doors open that we didn't have before. Oh my God, trying to sell a project with like a female, you know, horror director and, you know, young adult stuff back then, nobody would do it. Now everyone at least wants it and wants to hear that pitch. Will they still do it? Eh, maybe depends on who the who your cast is and who your heavyweight, you know, championing the project is. Or unfortunately, still on the film side, they're still gonna probably see if there's a more experience, more experienced, air quotes, experienced, you know, white dude who is out there doing that. Yeah. It's still happening, um, but people are more conscious about it anyway. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's a, it's a hard question to answer because there's both sides of it. I think you answered it very well, Sandra. And and honestly, you're one of my favorite people to watch because you do have so much experience in the business, but you're also still pushing your way in in the way that I think um, the business is finally recognizing. And your persistence is one of my favorite aspects of the work you do. You're very kind, but you're also very persistent. And I think that persistence is really inspiring to watch. So thank you for coming by today and like talking to me about this. No, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm super thrilled. Um, as you can tell, I'm a talker. Um, and I love, love, love talking about what we do and our business. And it's just, you know, despite all of that, like, it's just, it's fun. And mm. I'm so lucky and grateful that we get to have fun doing what we do. And it doesn't matter where you are in the process. Like you got to enjoy it, you know, and especially now all the world is burning down. Like, God, if you're not enjoying <laughs> it, like why are you doing it? And exactly the day right. I stop 
I stop enjoying it is the day I need to leave the business. And I'm just, I'm really lucky. So I appreciate you having me on and getting to allow me to talk forever about it. I mean, when you talk, I listen and other people should listen too, because you are filled with useful information and like, I'm happy you're still in the business. So let's keep sticking, Sandra, because I think you got a lot of good stuff to say. Nobody's getting rid of me. I'm a cockroach. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. We'll we'll make it through the apocalypse just fine, Sandra. If you enjoyed this episode of Make Your Stuff and want to support the show, please click the follow button. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at mypodcast, And consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash makeyourstuff. I'm your host, Kyle F. Andrews. My consulting producer is Emily Castro. Our theme song is Keep On Dancing by Monday Hope. Until next time, keep making that stuff.